Welcome to Abstract, colon, the future of science. I'm your host, Jeremy Ullman, and today, as always, we are bringing unprecedented accessibility to graduate research. We recorded in the past, you're listening in the present, and we're discussing the future of science. Enjoy the show. Today's episode is a counterpart to episode 65 on sleep and hypersomnolence disorder with Jesse Cook. We're back with another sleep researcher to play a bit of a different role than usual on Abstract. I've got Dr. Jonathan Charret here with us, and he's going to be answering the top 10 questions he's received on sleep throughout his career. Jonathan, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you for having me on this podcast. Love the opportunity. Awesome. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. As always, uh, sleep is an extremely interesting topic that somehow took 65 episodes to finally get into, and I'm happy to have not waited as long for the second opportunity. So tell us a bit about yourself. Like, what have you done to get here? So basically, I am now stationed in Calgary. So I'm working at the University of Calgary as a postdoc fellow. So I'm working on validating a sleep questionnaire for student athletes. Mm -hmm. I'm working with the Dean of Kinesiology, Dr. Wertner. And I'm also working at the Center for Sleep and Human Performance as the Director of Athlete Sleep Services with Dr. Charles Samuel. Basically, what I do is I try to manage sleep for athletes to the best of my ability with my research and my clinical approach, trying to make their travel seamless for example, for the Olympic Games that we just went through with Tokyo, mm-hmm. and also work with provincial, national, and regional athletes. I'm curious, when you were a student yourself, were you an athlete as well? Yeah, so I was an ex-athlete, an ex-track uh, and field athlete. So I uh, did uh, some of these uh, World Youth Championship back in 2005. Okay. So I'm just giving up my age here. <laughs> and just a little so bit. I was, <laughs> so I also went on the... Uh, Panam Junior also in 2007, and I competed for a University of Sherbrooke as a, a sprinter back in the days. Very nice. That's cool. I'm assuming your, your, your personal experience back then has informed some of the questions that you're trying to answer now, or at least has, has allowed you to be a better clinician uh, because you've been in the shoes of your clients. Yeah, exactly. It gives you a whole different perspective outside of the uh, theory book. You know what's happening on the field. You know what's happening on the ground. You know a little bit about the culture of sport, about traveling, facing jet lags every now and then, how difficult this is, having also the reality of student athletes. So they have to perform in school, out of school. They also have a social life. So they have a full, full plate. And I'm happy to be done with the student athlete life, quite honestly. Right, yeah. But these were great memories. And yeah, so when when I have a student athlete in front of me, I know why they are tired. I know why they are sleepy. And I kind of have a good grasp on what their lifestyle may be. Yeah. I mean, sleep is, I feel like it's one of those underrated, less spoken about aspects of being an athlete. Uh, there's a lot of focus on training. And then I, I would probably say second is nutrition and recovery. But then sleep, I feel like it, it just it doesn't get the attention it deserves. So that's kind of why we're here today, because I wanted you to address these top 10 questions that you've received about sleep. So I can inform myself, the listeners can also be informed whether they are student athletes or not. So are you ready to hop into it? Most definitely. Let's start it. Okay. We'll start from number 10 and we'll work our way backwards. So number 10, 
is my cell phone or are video games and TV bad for my sleep? So screen are part of our daily life and student athletes or student are no different. But on the other end, you have every sleep specialist and everyone's telling you put the device away two hours before bed. But when you look at their schedule from a realistic point of view, if they come back at home training at 7, 7.30 and they should be in bed by 10, then when are they supposed to study two hours before bedtime? So yes, cell phone, screen from laptop, tablet, television are not the best friend of sleep. You should really look at implementing a routine of half an hour before bedtime for a student athlete off screen. When this is done and now it is routinely, you don't have to force it. You may want to extend it to 45 minutes, then to 60 minutes. Once you've reached 60 minutes off screen, you can quite confidently say that the screen is no longer affecting your sleep because of the, of the blue light. So basically the, the bad part of these screen is blue light that they emit. They will have an impact on the hyperarousal state and threshold of your brain, which will in fact impact your ability to sink into sleep and maintain your sleep adequately and have a good quality sleep. I've seen a lot of ads recently for, for blue light glasses, yes. which are supposed to reduce or almost eliminate the amount of blue light going into your eyes. Is that a workaround? Can I work right up until I'm brushing my teeth, even while I'm brushing my teeth, if I've got my blue glasses on or even two or three pairs of them stacked on my face? <laughs> so the idea of these blue blacking glasses are good. In fact, they're a good shield, but they, it's a filter. So they do not block 100%, uh -huh. but they're quite close. What needs to be reminded is they need to be orange. So you have these so-called blue blocking glasses that are transparent. Mm -hmm. If you wear them and you can still see the color blue, therefore they do not block blue. So you need these orange pair of glasses and they basically cost 40 to $50. Uh -huh. It's not about how fancy they are, it's, it's the color. So if you wear them and they filter the utmost part of the blue light, so 90 to 95%, it's a good approach to study, but you still need that 30 to 60 minutes off screen. So it's a layer approach. So the curfew of 30, 60 minutes, and then you add the blue blocking glasses, and now you have a winning solution to actually study and have screen as part of your daily routine. Right. Yeah. I like what you mentioned earlier about how you want to set a realistic goal for yourself. If you only have two hours before bed to be doing your studies because you train, then you have dinner, you need to be in bed early to be up early then yeah, trying to stay two hours off screen is really tough. So finding that sweet balance makes complete sense. That's great. Yeah, because you're just gonna exacerbate their anxiety. So maybe they'll wake up even earlier to maybe study. So now you're maybe going to bed earlier, but you're also waking up earlier. So at the end of the day, you're not sleeping more. Yeah, I actually installed something on my computer called, called Flux. I don't know if you've heard about this. It, it reduces the amount of blue light on my screen. It actually turns it orange. I've worked sometimes around midnight and it's actually hilarious how orange my screen gets. All the colors are distorted. Uh, definitely not a good time to be doing any digital design, but that I find actually really helps for me. Is that something that you'd also recommend? Yeah, I do have flux on my computer Great. throughout the entire day, in fact, because oh, nice. I don't do all of these designs. I'll, I'm a researcher, so I only write, so it doesn't yeah. matter if it's black or orange. So yeah, and no, it's something I do recommend if you only read or write, 
through the Flux application is a good helper. Excellent. I'm going to put a link to Flux in the show notes for those who want to download it. Quick plug for Flux. Okay, question number nine. Should or can I drink coffee and energy drinks to help me if I had a poor night's sleep? So something that is important to remember, sleep is not replaceable. You do not replace sleep with an extra cup of coffee. First thing first. However, having said that, we don't want to make coffee the enemy. So there's also a sweet balance, again, that needs to be addressed. One of the rules I have for every student athlete age 18 and older, coffee can be consumed one or two cups and you stop at noon because of the six-hour half-life. A half-life is the amount of time it takes for a given substance to reduce by a half. So we often think of half-life in terms of describing the decay of radioactive elements. But in this case, we're talking about the amount of time it takes for your body to flush caffeine out of its system. So every six hours, it'll get through about half of the remaining caffeine. It takes, in fact, five half-life to be washed out of your system. So after stopping at noon, you should not have too much of an impact on your following night. So if you have a poor night, and you decide to go on with coffee throughout the day to maintain your alertness and your energy, all you're going to do is make bad decisions faster because it does not replace sleep. And then your following night, you have all that caffeine going on in your system and you have a second bad night in a row. And then you start adding up coffee for the third time in a, in a third day. And Got another poor night, and now you're stuck in that vicious circle of poor sleep. You're wondering why. You're relying on coffee, Red Bull, Monster, you can name it all. So the idea is if you have a poor night, you try to keep it at one poor night. Uh-huh. You take coffee if you want in the morning because it tastes great, it smells great, hmm. but you stop at noon and you will be good. One poor night will not destroy your entire week. Coffee is definitely not the solution to replace sleep because at the end of the day, nothing does replace sleep. Except for more sleep. <laughs> Yeah, except for more sleep, right. exactly. So I guess what you're saying is if I lose out on an hour, two hours of sleep, like I can call that my sleep debt. If, if I'm unable to sleep more in the coming weeks, I can just sleep exactly how much time I was supposed to sleep. And I can kind of like amortize that sleep debt over that period of time. And eventually my body will just kind of catch up with itself. So yes, there is a sleep debt. So you can, you sleep less and less per night. So you accumulate a sleep debt. But this is reversible with what we call a sleep bank. You can actually bank your sleep to lower the impact of a sleep debt. So that's the idea of not consuming coffee. You rely on your sleep bank and not on caffeine. Where is the sleep bank? Can I drive to it in the middle of the night? (laughs) I wish that would be uh, so much easier. But no, so a sleep bank. If you sleep eight hours a night, you have eight hours in your bank. Then the following day, another eight hours, say 16 hours in your bank. So you want to look at your sleep bank from a weekly perspective. Mm-hmm. So for example, eight hours, seven nights, 56 hours a, a week. But having seven good nights out of seven, we're looking at something a little bit unrealistic, especially for student athletes, mm-hmm. midterm, training, final exam at the end of the semester. So it is expected to have one or two suboptimal. So I'm not talking about catastrophic night, but a suboptimal night. So if you have a sleep bank that is being full for one, two, three weeks, and now you're having one poor night, and now you're calling that a sleep debt, I prefer to see it the other way around. You've been sleeping so well for three weeks, that 
one single poor night is not going to reverse three good weeks of sleep. Mm -hmm. So your bank is full enough to overcome that one suboptimal night. I like that. I, I like flipping the script and reframing it in a positive way to give yourself a pat on the back for a few great weeks of sleep. It's all about adaptability. I mean, it's no secret. A poor night is enough to remind you how important sleep is because with one poor night, you're going to feel it the next day. But it's not a catastrophe. You'll be able to go through your day. You'll be able to be as productive if your sleep bank is full enough. I have such strong opinions about sleep and like how people's sleep hygiene could be so much better than it is and how like I don't believe anybody needs coffee, but I'll put a pin in it for now. Question number eight, is melatonin useful, safe, and a good solution for my sleep problems? So to everyone who's listening, melatonin should be used only with the help of a sleep physician, family doctor, or behavioral sleep medicine specialist. Even though it is accessible over the counter in Canada and United States, it is not true for all the countries around the world. It is still considered safe, so I'm not trying to play boogeyman here, but when we see a patient coming in clinic, most often than not, they don't take it adequately so at the right time, and they take way too much. They use that as gummy bears. Hmm. And when I see a student athlete, age 14, 15, using 10 milligrams of melatonin, 15 milligrams of melatonin, I'm wondering what's happening. Why is this piece of education not out there? So melatonin is not a sleep inducer. It is a time shifter. So in other words, melatonin is not the hormone of sleep, it's the hormone of darkness. So when you do ingest melatonin, you're basically sending your brain a night signal. So you're not sedating yourself. So if you're using melatonin and you're still on your screen or running around, unlikely it's going to have a big effect. So a lot of people, they're going to just hire the dose because that's the principle behind an actual medication. Hmm. But that's not how melatonin works. It's always recommended and strongly suggested that everyone that may or want to use melatonin do so with the help of a physician so they don't take too much and they learn how much they should take. So these 10 milligrams should be prohibited for, for everyone. It should be between 0.5 to 1.5 maximum and it should be ingested around two hours prior to your anticipated bedtime. So if you take melatonin at bedtime, you're basically taking your sword and you swing it in water. That's what you're doing. You're just missing the point. It's a time shifter. It's not going to sedate you. Uh-huh. So if you take too much, basically your body's going to see it as an error signal. It's just going to fight it. Interesting. With the appropriate sleep hygiene, then you may have a good shift in your sleep so the idea is for those night owls so someone who's not able to fall asleep before midnight let's say but has to wake up at 6 6 30 we may want to advance his sleep phase that's what melatonin is for mm-hmm. not to put you out or asleep but to advance or delay your sleep phase depending if you're traveling I feel like we can slowly start building this sleep routine where it's like, okay, you're going to get off your screen, but before you get off your screen, you're going to take the melatonin if you need it, if you've consulted the professional, right? 
And so we can start to develop that sleep hygiene slowly but surely. I like how you called melatonin the hormone of darkness. For something that's supposed to be safe, it sounds pretty unsafe. The hormone of darkness. Well, so darkness, I mean it more for the uh, night time. So yeah, yeah. Not, not, <laughs> I know, I know. It's but just yeah. the hormone of darkness doesn't sound great. Question number seven. Why do I have difficulty sleeping after a late game or practice? You've been training, you're hyper aroused, you're overexcited. You come back, you may have some homework to do, so you're not slowing down. Everything is fast-paced. And these poor teenager, young adults, are missing the point of we need to actually have a buffer zone to relax before hitting the bed. If you're going for a training, your brain is going 100 miles an hour. Of course, you're training. Let's say you are doing a contact sport. You need to be sharp and alert. You come back home, you don't debrief, you study, you study quick because you see your bedtime coming and now it's 11, you're up in bed. So you are basically running or driving 100 miles an hour on the highway and all of a the sudden there is a stop sign coming and you're slamming the brake. Uh-huh. So if we don't relax and yeah. allow our brain to actually slow down to sink into it, I mean, we don't fall asleep. That's a wrong way of using that terminology. We actually sink into sleep. The way you're describing the life of a student athlete seems really hopeless. <laughs> there, are, there, are, there are probably millions and millions of student athletes out there, and there are thousands and thousands of people like you who are trying to help them with their sleep and the rest of their lives. But it sounds like there's, there's just not enough hours in the day in terms of having these students meet their, these expectations that they have for themselves. Like, do you often feel stuck? When you, when you encounter each individual patient of yours? Well, what I do a lot with them is we go back to a good old charting session. So we take their seven days a week and we chart. Where is the time? Everyone has 24 hours in a day. How can we make the best out of it? And we start with sleep. Because if you have a good night of sleep, you will be productive. If you don't have a good night of sleep, instead of taking two hours to study, you're going to need two hours and a half. It's a great so point. We start with sleep and then we start on where do you study? When are your class? When are your training? It sounds overwhelming as we are discussing it. But if we had a chart in front of us, everyone has enough for 24 hours to actually have a proper eight hours sleep. It's just scheduling yeah. is the name of the game. I think everybody could benefit from taking a look at their schedule and actually charting out their week. I've, I've done it a couple of times and it, it's actually amazing, even with a, a really packed schedule, how many hours are just bits and pieces throughout the week that you can get done little little activities or little, even time to just relax and refresh. So I, I think it's something that I'd actually recommend to anybody, whether they're an athlete or not. Yeah, it's just that our society is not making sleep a priority. Sleep yeah. is for the week, you'll sleep when you're dead, you snooze, you lose, the early bird gets a worm. I mean, you get it. We get uh, it. <laughs> sleep is not the uh, most attractive thing. But trust me, if you sleep well, your productivity will skyrocket. I hear you for sure. I'm a big fan. I try to get eight hours every night, seven, seven and three quarters if it's a bad day. <laughs> Question number six, should I sleep in if my first class is canceled or if, uh, if the office is uh, opening late today? Yes. So referring to my sleep bank, every opportunity you have to sleep in, please do sleep in. Okay. You will add some hour, some Z to your bank. Every student athlete is probably sleep restricted or sleep deprived. So they will benefit from that two hour. 
you don't get used to a lack of sleep. So mm, I, I hear a lot of these coaches, well, we're practicing at 8.30, so I'm going to make all my athletes wake up at 7 every single morning, regardless if they have a training or not, so they'll get used to it. Wrong answer. Wrong way of doing it. You're, in fact, chronically restricting, depriving these poor kids. And same goes for every individual, athletes or not. If you can sleep in, sleep in. This is not weakness. You need it. And that's us, again, as a society, we look at these teenagers. Well, see, my teenager sleeps till 10 or 11. He's lazy. He's not lazy. He needs his sleep, and he has a different window of opportunity than most of us. Because teenager and young adult are most likely to be night owl. So even more to reinforce that fact, if they can sleep in in the morning, they should take every opportunity they have. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Uh, I was always different from, from my brother in that respect, where I was usually able to get to bed between, you know, 11 and 12. And I'd be up around, I don't know, 8 or 9. And he would be in bed till like 1230. And I would judge him. But then I'd also find out that he was, you know, up till 2 or 3 in the morning. So if, if everything's shifted, ultimately, you're getting the same number of Zs. Your bank account is just as flush. So yeah. to each their own. You mentioned uh, night owls. And there's like the, the opposite of a night owl. What's that called? Early bird or a lark. And we give too much power to early birds. As I said, the early man, the morning man is always seen as successful. I wake up at four in the morning to go for a jog, to do a training. And then I up in the shower. I show up at work at 6.30. I work till five and see how productive and successful I am. And then you look at these students, well, I cannot fall asleep before midnight, so what am I, doomed? No, you're not. You're in fact just productive and sleepy in a different window, and you can be just as productive and as successful as the early bird. Let them do what they got to do. If you're going to be able to fall asleep earlier, great for you. But if you're waking up at 10 a.m. and you're still going to go for a jog, and then you're training, and then you're working till 7 instead of 5, great. Just as productive. Exactly. So that's question five. Question four. How do I nap? It is, as I said, an ability that we develop. It's not something we do sleep. It's something that happens to us. So if we have learned how to relax before sleeping, we can learn how to relax in the middle of the afternoon, late morning, and actually induce or initiate sleep. Shut the lights out. Just slow down everything maybe you have a tool or two podcast audiobook that you want to listen to just to keep your mind away for a couple of minutes and then you try to sink into sleep you have your timer on 30 minutes and i'm expecting and wishing for you that you may sleep 12 15 minutes but if you do fall asleep only for five minutes that is a good first step eventually you'll be able to develop that ability seven minutes 10 minutes 12 minutes and that is enough to actually reboost your battery for the second half of your day. Wow. And every 30 minute time off and nap is more beneficial than any amount of coffee in the world. Unfortunately, when we wake up, if we feel like we're lacking sleep, we're not going to go nap again. We're going to hit the coffee, right? But in terms of the afternoon coffee, which I know many people will go for, I think this is a great alternative. Getting an afternoon coffee is quick. It's guaranteed. And it's often social, whereas napping is uh, you're not guaranteed the amount of sleep. It's not necessarily quick if you got to set aside half an hour. And from what I understand, napping is not that social. So, you know, different strokes for different folks, but I, I can see the benefit for sure. But is it, is it coffee quicker than napping? 
Because the time you make your coffee, the time you drink it, the time you metabolize it, the time it's, it peaks in your system, compared to I need 30 minutes, mm. I can promise you that the 30 minute nap is in fact way faster than a coffee. Of course, it's not as social. Of course, it doesn't taste as good. Yeah. Yeah, napping is definitely quicker, more efficient, and will keep you on the right path for your sleep daily and nightly. As a coffee, well, of course, you'll have friends to talk with, but you also have friends to talk with at 2 a.m. in the morning. I feel like we should we should both quit our jobs and start a company called Tasty Nap, where we, we allow nappers to enjoy the flavor of coffee somehow. I don't know, with neural stimulation or with like tablets on your on your tongue. We'll talk about that later. If anybody <laughs> listening wants to get in and you know marketing, then we should definitely do that. <laughs> Question three. When should I nap? So napping should really occur in the middle of the afternoon whenever possible. So general rule between two and four. So in the middle of the afternoon, everyone is feeling kind of uneasy, a little bit more tired. And a lot of people are blaming too big of a lunch. Uh, in fact, yeah, some, uh, for some it's real, they're eating too much. But the, the fact remains that the biology behind this is circadian rhythm for human being. Between two and four, we will hit one of our lowest. And this is when we should nap. This is when we should take a time off of 30 minutes just to recharge. General rule, between two and four, mm-hmm. as long as it has no impact on your following night. Excellent. Maybe this will be like question 3.5, but are there people who shouldn't nap or are there situations where I should definitely not nap? Oh, yes. There is a, depending if you're traveling. So when you're traveling, let's say we, I'm leaving from Calgary or you're leaving from Montreal to Paris or a six and eight hour jet lag, depending on what time you're leaving, what time you're arriving. So napping will be uh, strategic. So you should not nap if every time you nap, the following night is of lower efficiency and lower quality. So that's why I say it's it's mostly for almost everyone, but every individual and patient I work with, we work a lot on awareness. Does this increase your sleep? And ultimately what you are truly after is does this improve your quality of life? I mean, yes, sleep is all good and it sounds beautiful, but ultimately I want your quality of life to be enhanced. I want your productivity to be enhanced. I want your athletic performance, academic performance to be enhanced. So is the nap helping or is the nap a burden? And this is how we approach it. So it is a super individualized approach. Yeah, that's totally fair. Question number two, what happens if I don't sleep enough and how long can I go without sleep? (laughs) Quite honestly, research has no clear answer on this. Okay. You should definitely not go for too long. So if you go for a 16 hours straight, yeah, please sleep. Do not drive. Avoid the wheel. Have a nap before taking the wheel and then prolong your sleep as much as possible. What can happen? It's your cognition that will be impaired. So your reaction time will be increased, meaning that it will take you more time to react to an event. So you will be slower to react to someone coming at you on the road. You will have difficulty with your decision making. I mean, you know, when you have a poor night, everything goes off rail. You just say yes or no, depending on the type of personality you have to every question that is asked. You don't take the time to actually reflect 
and you don't have the creativity and the critical thinking to the same level that if you were actually rested or well-rested. I think their world record for what it's worth is, is 12 days in a row from a DJ in Australia. I think it's 12 or 16 days in a row. But again, probably not natural. Uh-huh. Yeah, so yeah. For a Definitely some North, sketchy things going on there. And, yeah. and that DJ is probably not a student athlete. Probably not. And <laughs> or so at least for, not performing at a high level. So for everyone, how long can you go for without sleeping? I mean, everyone is different, but I can definitely tell you that as soon as you're reaching 16 hours, your cognition and your ability to make proper decision will be drastically decreased. Mm -hmm. So if you power through instead of going to sleep, the following morning you'll have to redo your work because you'll notice of the poor quality it was. Mm -hmm. And then again, you're losing productivity and time because during sleep, your brain, your cerebrospinal fluid is in fact washing off all the toxic waste in your brain. So think about sleep as a dishwasher. Think, think about your brain as a dishwasher during the night. So you need it to clean all the toxin out of your system. Otherwise, you're going to wake up and you're going to have your cereal in a dirty bowl with some, with some minestrone in there. And that's gross. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's disgusting. <laughs> I've, I've met people before who say, yeah, I can totally manage on four hours of sleep a night. I live on four hours of sleep a night. Are they lying? No, they're not lying. So they can manage it. So you have these short, short sleeper and they will go through life four, five, six hours a night. And that's a problem with school and university. We teach them, see, you can do this. You can power through this. But sleep is a cumulative thing on both sides. So you accumulate a debt and you can accumulate a bank. So if you sleep six hours or five hours, you'll be able to go through life probably without a hiccup. But I can promise you that you are burning the candle with the both hand on. And ultimately at your thir at 35, 40, this is when you crash. And now you're wondering, oh, in my 20s, I was able to do this. Now I cannot even be able to wake up without having an ache in my back and I, everything hurts and see? instead of looking at the long term, you just try to power yourself through life and you were not efficient, in fact. And all your work you've done, some of you are productive, but I can promise you that if you had taken your sleep seriously and made it a priority, everything would have been enhanced. Everything would have been optimized. Everyone that powered through life with four, five, six hours can do it, but they're not doing it with the best version of themselves. Enter the hormone of darkness. <laughs> Give me that melatonin. Final question, number one. Most important question, most, most frequently asked question, a question people probably think they have the answer to, but do they? How many hours should I sleep? One of the first questions I ask all my patient and student athlete, how many hours do you think you need? I need eight, I need 10, I need seven. It's all over the place. But the most popular one is eight, of course. You need, as a young adult, between seven and nine. So yes, the eight remains the, uh, the middle ground, but do you need eight absolutely every night? Probably not. We are not sure yet from a research perspective. Mm -hmm. Should you aim for eight? Absolutely. Creativity, critical thinking, decision-making, productivity is enhanced with individuals sleeping between that seven and nine compared to those sleeping lower or too long. You can also sleep for too long, but for other reasons. And those athletes, we have a tendency of asking them to sleep 10 hours, but 10 hours a day. 
So we look at how much you can sleep throughout the night. So what is your biggest chunk of sleep you can achieve? Uh -huh. And those who cannot reach that 10, which most of them can't, this is when the napping becomes super important. Mm -hmm. Now we're topping off our total sleep time with napping. And this is how we reach our 70 hour a week. And we see an enhancement in their performance. And for athletes that are listening, the enhancement is not of a big gap. But let me remind you that if you improve by 2 or 3%, this will make the difference between reaching the podium, reaching the, the next level. 2 or 3% is a huge factor in performance. Yeah, you mentioned that, that you work with Olympic athletes. In the certain sports, especially track and field, 2-3% is a huge margin of improvement. But to, to illustrate that, so when I did one presentation and what I did with track and field is I took Usain Bolt world record and I subtracted 3% to his time, mm -hmm. 9.58. If you subtract 3% of his time, Usain Bolt will never have reached a final in his career. <laughs> yeah. so that's wow. 3% so you're talking about the most impressive sprinter there ever been on the face of the herd and you subtract that 3% and he's not reaching the final so let that sink in so I'm not saying that sleep will contribute to 3% every time but definitely can be part of the solution to enhance your productivity or your performance by 3% wow that's powerful even, even for someone who's who's not a, a track runner, I'm just thinking about different places in my life where like 3% could make a big difference. It's cool. Imagine you're applying for a PhD. So there is a 10, there's 100 application and only 10 uh, successful uh, applicant. And you're increasing your, your average, academic average by 3% everywhere. Yeah, maybe that's what's going to cut it. Instead of the, the 13th application, you're, you're number 10 now and you're accepted into that program. Exactly. Anything can happen. I do have a question zero for you, though. And that is, would you recommend any sleep gadgets that can help us keep track of our sleep hygiene, our debt, our bank, the quality of our sleep? Because you've been mentioning a lot about how when you nap, sometimes you're napping for 7, 8, 12 minutes. I mean, it's, it's very hard to tell how long these things are happening and the quality. It, it always depends on why you, you want to track your sleep. I mean, there is a million gadgets out there. So... Personally, I, I like the Roaring and the Fitbit 2 Inspire. They are getting better and better and better, regardless of what science says sometimes. They're gathering so much data every day that they are ultimately going to be a golden standard within three, five, let's say seven years to be conservative. If you track this just out of curiosity, I have no problem. Mm -hmm. If you track this and it's just increasing the anxiety towards your sleep see i slept 6.99 hour and my rest score is below 85 <laughs> my day is ruined i cannot train see coach my hrv is way too low my sleep is not good enough i cannot do the rep today we're talking about mm -hmm. a minute so if that's what's happening maybe we need to revisit why you're tracking your sleep at the end of the day, a sleep tracker is pretty much the same thing as a uh, weight balance that you have in your bathroom. Mm -hmm. If I'm overweight and I go weight myself and I'm, uh, let's say, 35 pounds overweight, it is not an actual intervention. I'm reflecting on data. So the importance here is what do you do with the actual data of your sleep? Does this help you improve your sleep? 
If the answer is no and it's worsening your sleep, get rid of it. If it's helping you keeping you accountable to a sleep schedule, a napping schedule, then sure, use it. So again, it's super individualized. It depends why you're using it, how you're using it, and what do you want to do with the data? That brings me actually to my question minus one now. <laughs> There's just so many questions that I want to ask. Question minus one is, what is the influence of sleep on mental health? Massive. Huge. Uh, sleep, anxiety, depression, just to take these two because they're the most recurrent one, they're intertwined. As I said, you have one poor night and your mood is, can be variable. And when we approach depression nowadays, as much as anxiety, when you look at the data, if you improve sleep, you will improve inevitably depression and anxiety. But the other way around is also true. So it's a bi-directional uh, relationship they have together. So if you have a depressed individual in front of you, most likely is not sleeping well. Same for anxiety. Should you target anxiety or depression or sleep? I'm super biased for sleep, but even though I say it needs to be accounted for, but simultaneously do improve sleep. It is a primary part of getting better, having a stable mental health. And when you have depression, look into sleep. Screening sleep is super important. If you stabilize that pillar of life, you will definitely help stabilize your mental health. Awesome. I'm definitely going to have to have you back on to answer the top 10 questions that nobody cares about because we just answered the top 10 questions that everybody cares about, everybody wants to know about. So maybe we'll have to do a super secret special episode and run through stuff that doesn't matter whatsoever. So thank you so much, <laughs> Jonathan, for coming onto the show today. Much appreciated. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for, for sharing all of this great knowledge that is applicable to student athletes, but also to the population at large. This has been a great experience. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure talking about sleep. It's always a pleasure to talk about sleep. So to everyone, please make sleep a priority. You need it. It's your best productivity and answer here. And it's free. <laughs> it is free. And then it also contributes to your bank. So you're basically getting paid to sleep. Exactly. So have a great rest of your day and sleep well. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye now. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can check us out at abstractcast on Instagram. If you have any feedback, please feel free to leave a comment on the post for the current or any previous episode that you might have listened to. Or if you're a graduate student and you would like to be on the podcast yourself, you can drop us a line at abstractcast at gmail.com. This podcast will be released weekly on Sundays and is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere else you're going to find podcasts. So. Feel free to check us out around the internet. Until then, take it easy.